So I just want to give you a quick heads up. So if you didn't already know this, hi, I'm not Mark. Uh, I'm Tommy. I'm the youth pastor here at Wellsville First Christian Church. Mark is obviously stuck at an airport. So in his honor, I will be taking over today. Since this was kind of last minute, we don't have any slides or verses. So if you want to follow along in the Bible reading today, we'll be in Matthew chapter 13. But before we get there, I want to share with you all a story. So I know it's not Christmas. I know it's almost the end of January, beginning of February. But allow me to tell you a Christmas story from my house and from my family. When I was very young, I so badly wanted the brand new Xbox gaming console. And I knew that Christmas was the best time to get it. So I made sure that I was a real good boy. See, I did all my chores. I was super good to all of my sisters and to my parents. I was just being good all the time because I knew I wanted this Xbox really bad. You see, I got myself all excited and finally Christmas day comes and I come rushing down the stairs and I'm ready to open up the presents and there was no Xbox. And uh, I was kind of broken hearted. I knew for a fact that Santa could have gotten me that gift. I mean, he's got a big enough bank account to be able to give me one, and he got all my friends one, and I was a much better boy than all of them were, so okay. But the, I, I, I was kind of upset. But you know what? It happens. Maybe Santa didn't get the memo. Next year comes along, and I wanted the same thing. I wanted that Xbox. So I told my parents, I want my Xbox, I want this, I'm so excited, I'll be real good. And the same thing, I was real good, really tried my best. And again, no Xbox on Christmas Day. You see, it's happened time and time again, and it actually kind of hurt. You see, I, I lost my faith that Santa would actually pull through. Despite the fact I knew Santa could do something to fix my situation, I was familiar with how all the elves worked all year round, and you're telling me that they couldn't bother to make just one more for me? I began to grow contentment towards, you know, Santa. <laughs> I began to doubt that he actually had the power to get me anything at all. And you see, sometimes in our walk of faith, we can feel the same way about God. We pray and we pray about our situation, and it seems like it never gets better. We have a sinful addiction that we can't crack. So we pray and we fast, but it feels like God isn't answering. We feel stuck. We feel hopeless. We feel broken. And it feels like God is so far away that he can't even help us even if he tried, even if he bothered to try. Our familiarity with disappointment, our unanswered prayers, our previous or even current spiritual hurts begin to cause doubt in our mind that God is even there our familiarity begins to breed contentment. You see, for those of you that don't know, contentment means to disregard something that should be taken into account or a feeling that a person or thing is beneath consideration. It's, in other words, it's worthless. Our familiarity with disappointment leaves us to leave God out of the picture. So I ask you, what are you familiar with? Maybe you're familiar with your circumstances, the broken and hurting world around you, or the brokenness of your life situation. Maybe it's the quietness or lack of response from God. Being without rescue from God 
despite tireless prayer and fasting, it feels like he's not there. Or maybe you're familiar with feeling lost in the world. Like God is so far from you that you rarely, if ever, feel his love and comfort in his presence. Our familiarity with our situation leaves us wondering if God is even worth our time, our consideration, or our prayers. Now, first of all, God is and always will be worth our praise, worth our time, worth our consideration, even if it doesn't feel like that. But today, I want to look at a story in Jesus's life where familiarity blinded people to see the one and true Savior that was standing right in front of them. So today, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 through 58. And as you're turning there, I just want to give you a quick bit of context. So do note that this story also appears in Mark chapter 6 and Luke chapter 4, but I decided to use Matthew and compile all the information from all three of the Gospels into this sermon today. And before this passage takes place, Jesus has been going around preaching to the masses. He's been healing the sick and the paralyzed, giving sight to the blind, casting out demons, and throughout his journey, he's been accompanied by his disciples. We all know this. Now, let's read here what it says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 53 through 58. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Here we see that Jesus is returning to his hometown of Nazareth, which we know because Luke chapter 4 tells us that. Jesus begins to teach in the synagogue, and the author, Matthew, even points out that the people were amazed. And we notice in verse 54, it says, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? These people noticed that there was something spectacular happening here. However, as we continue in verse 55, they began to ask, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this the, isn't the mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And aren't all of his sisters with us? Everyone began to point out, oh, this is, this is just the carpenter's son. This is son of Mary, who we all know. The brother of James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and an undisclosed number of sisters. They questioned who this man was, and they even took offense to him. The people from Jesus' hometown pointed out that he was just the son of a carpenter. Jesus had no formal training in the scriptures. Despite being the son of God, he was not formally trained in the scriptures. Not only that, but the rest of Jesus' family were normal people. Everyone knew this family. They were normal people. They weren't claiming to be special teachers. They weren't claiming to be prophets. They weren't claiming to be the son of God. So these people took offense to Jesus. And actually, we discover in Luke chapter 4, verse 28, it says, All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. 
So when I was reading this, it begs the question, why such a strong response? Why did the people of Jesus' hometown want him out so much that they were willing to push him out of town and throw him off a cliff? We see that Jesus is calling himself a prophet. He says a prophet is not without honor except in his own town. And this is confirmed in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus puts himself on what seems like equal footing with the prophets Elijah and Elisha, when in fact he's actually much greater than them both. The crowd could not believe that this man who they've seen grown up, this man who has an ordinary family, no formal training, is supposed to be this high and mighty prophet with all these miraculous gifts of healing. They couldn't see past their familiarity of this man to see him for what he truly was. Now, I'm certain they would have had to have heard stories about him. They, they saw the man preach with such wisdom that, and divine authority that even they were impressed. They saw this man heal the sick and heard stories of the many miracles he did around town. Yet, they could not see past their own experiences with him or his family to see what he truly was. So what does Jesus say in verse 58? And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Jesus walked away from them not performing many miracles. Their lack of faith prohibited Jesus from performing many miracles there. Now, do not get this confused. Please note that it is not their faith that limited Jesus' power. There is nothing that can limit the power of God. It was their lack of faith that stopped Jesus from performing miracles because they didn't give him the opportunities. If they didn't chase Jesus off a cliff... They could have brought their sick to him. They could have brought their demon-possessed. They could have brought their paralyzed to be healed. They could have sat and learned from him and studied with him. But they didn't. They resented him. They were offended by him. So they chased him out. It is not that he couldn't do many miracles because of their faith. It was because of their lack of faith that stopped Jesus from having the opportunity to do many miracles. So why do I share with this with you today? Well, let's go back to the first question I asked you here. What are you familiar with? Are you familiar with your financial burdens, your work stresses, your difficult family dynamics, or your struggling marriage? Are you familiar with God not answering or making you feel alone in your prayers and worship? That each and every time you cry out to God, it feels like his back is turned to you and he ignores you. If so, I understand what that's like. I've not been in every single one of your shoes, but I've been in those shoes before. I've been in those moments before where you feel like you're trapped. You're alone in a prison, this prison of your own circumstances, your addictions, your struggles. No matter how many times you cry out to God for help, it feels like he's not listening. Being familiar with your situation of being alone and being in pain and feeling like you're being ignored can lead to you resenting God. You become angry with him for not answering. And just like the people of Jesus' hometown, they became familiar with their situation, familiar with their experiences with Jesus. They couldn't look past that to see the truth. The truth that Jesus is our Messiah. He is our Savior, the Son of God. Jesus has the power to heal, the desire to rescue, to save, and the heart to care for the world that desperately needs him. Instead of being familiar with your situation, 
How about being familiar with something greater, something rooted in truth? Are you familiar with God's power? Read through the stories of Old and New Testament, and you will consistently find God taking care of his children time and time again. Are you familiar with God's love? A love so great that it is unquantifiable. A love given to us despite being so undeserving that he sent his one and only son to die for my mistakes, for your mistakes, and for our mistakes. Are you familiar with God's grace? That each and every time we mess up, we fall short, which can feel like quite often, he welcomes us back with open arms each and every time. Familiarity isn't always wrong, but what we are familiar with shapes our views on God. So much so that it shapes our worship, and it shapes our understanding, and it shapes how we view God in times of pain, regret, and sorrow. In my first sermon that I ever shared with this church, I told you that God has a plan for you. I shared that even though we may not understand it, nor never see it in its entirety, our God, our creator, is good, and his plan is perfect. Despite our hurting and our feelings of pain and isolation, our God cares for us. He leaves the 99 in search of you and me. So how can we change our familiarity? One from contempt towards God into one of awestruck wonder and desire for him. The first step is to become familiar with his word. If you want to become more familiar with who God is, what he has done, and the promises he has for you and me, you need to be reading his word. Here at the church, we have a bunch of different Bible studies you can join. Not only that, you can find a daily devotion. You can do the Bible in a year challenge. There are so many ways to make reading God's word easy to discover together. If you don't know where to start or what's available, ask someone around you. We as a church want to help you take those steps. Ask someone on staff, ask an elder, ask anyone around you. We would love to take that step with you. And the second thing you can do is to become familiar with reliance on him. Find ways to relinquish control and give back to God. You see, in life, we're always looking for more ways to get more control of ourselves. And in fact, I've seen this a thousand times with kids and their parents. Whenever you see a child throwing a tantrum, you always hear the parents say, get control of yourself. And in fact, I know my mother has told me that on the daily when I was a child. You see, although that works for children, that doesn't actually work as adults. You see, stop trying to take control of everything and trust God's plan. How do you relinquish control then? How do you trust God? There's a practice known as a spiritual discipline. These can include daily worship, solitude, prayer or fasting or practicing the Sabbath. Any one of those things, regardless of which one you choose, the purpose is to be a daily reminder that you need God. A daily reminder to grow closer to him. So as I wrap things up and call the praise team back to the stage, I once again ask you, what are you familiar with? Are you familiar with your circumstances? Are you familiar with God's silence in your life? Or familiar with the pains and the burdens that you carry? Or are you familiar with the power of God 
the love that he has for you, and the wonderful plan he has set before you. For those of you and that don't know what it's like to be familiar with the power of God, take a step forward in your relationship with him. Seek his promises. Set daily reminders, spiritual reminders, to rely on him, to put your trust in him. And for those of you that don't yet know Jesus, haven't yet accepted him into your hearts, we have people here. People here that are willing to speak with you. People here that are willing to answer your questions and to help you take those next steps into your relationship of freedom with God. Would you all pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your love for us. God, you care for us. And God, even though we may not always see it, we may not always feel it, you are there. Each and every day, you are guiding our steps. You're watching over us. And Lord, we thank you. I pray, Lord, for each and every one of us to find ways to know more about you, learn more about you, and to give you our trust. Because Lord, you are good. Your plan is perfect. And we trust you. Lord, we love you, and we know that you love us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.